0: Welcome to the self-helpful podcast where we break down the classic and cutting edge wisdom of self-help to discern how to actually make positive change in our lives. I'm Kevin Miller. In this episode, we're talking about changing the idea we have of ourselves. Can we really do that? And I think we assume so. We talk about it a lot, but the reality is difficult. And this continues the topic I discussed previously with actor Josh Peck, who grew up poor, extremely overweight. he found success as an actor, lost over 100 pounds, really just did a life changeover, yet testified his mindset about himself and life didn't immediately change. So I've got Tom Ziegler with me today to discuss this issue. I mean, how so often we pursue positive growth in our lives, and yet we can often realize a tangible result, an achievement, and yet not feel fulfilled, not find fulfillment, because we still retain the old mindset and mental image. And so something Josh shared about that idea of, can we change it? Can we really erase it? Or is it a permanent chapter? He actually said that, but there's more. If you find value from the self-help podcast, subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And the best thing you can do, take any benefit you get and share it with someone else. Pay it forward. You can connect with me always at kevinmiller.co. Next up, Tom Ziegler joins me to discuss our ability to change the idea we have about ourselves and our circumstances. Tom in I wonder in dealing with as many people as you have who are making positive life change how often you see this issue of you know they set a goal I mean my gosh this is you know you're Tom Ziegler Ziegler's about goals you set a goal you achieve it so here it is you made the money you got the job you got the relationship you just became happy you know whatever that goal is the the tangible achievement, and yet, maybe I should take that last one away uh, of being happy. Let's say it's a, it's a more tangible, concrete achievement that you made that, but your mental state hasn't changed. I just don't think we talk about it enough. We just assume you make the goal, now you are going to be happy. And that's the thing. We so often can have that achievement and then realize that, okay, yeah, it's, sure, it's better. If I'm you know like Josh Peck, if I'm, I was in poverty with my single, you know, my, my single mom and we have poverty and moving from place to place. Now I get an acting gig and we all of a sudden have money. Um, that helps things, not a bad thing, but that's what he shared is, is the idea of life didn't change right away with that. I think we deal with that and it can just probably the main thing is it sabotages our, Mm -hmm. our happiness and our fulfillment with that. But that's just a reality that I want us to hold here in this episode is that achieving the goal does not by proxy mean that all of a sudden you're going to be happy, especially if you haven't addressed what the underlying issue is.
1: Yeah, that's, I see it all the time and there's all levels of degrees in it. Um, You'll see it with salespeople. Um, Their biggest, the the biggest sale they make, uh, that's like the cap. So it's very hard for somebody to see themselves. Hey, you just had your biggest sale ever. It's the next biggest sale is probably not going to be anything more than like five or 10% bigger than the last one because they can't see it. They don't. And then when people get the home run, right. When all of a sudden, boom, it happens. You get the break or something occurs in your life where where you were struggling and, and, and then all of a sudden everything breaks loose, you don't adjust to it. You either have imposter syndrome, like I don't deserve this or, <laughs> or your mindset doesn't change. Yeah. And when, when you, when you see an Olympic athlete, when they get the gold, it's not the first time they're standing in the, on the podium right? Because they've been standing in the, on the podium on their, in their mind for probably a decade, right? They have been dreaming of that and every, every step that they took along the way was getting them one close one step closer to this dream. They had of standing on the podium, but unfortunately that's where they quit dreaming. They don't, they don't think what comes after the podium, And so there can be a massive letdown and you, and you see people who are perennial champions who are always up in their game. And what they've done is successfully made that transition to instead of it's an end result, it's part of the journey of growth. Right. Right. And so you see people who, who are on the growth journey, they've got enough wisdom to say, wait a second, this, this is about how much I'm growing. And it's good for it to always feel uncomfortable. It's good for it to like, how do I fit in here? And, and but, I, but because I'm growing and it's supposed to be uncomfortable, it's like, you can look around and say, hey, wait, I really do fit. I've, I've earned this as much as anybody else has. Well, and there you just hit that kind of a shift,
0: you know, you, what you said there, Josh talked about that. We we talked about that. He he came from a disadvantage and he still kind of comes to life that way, feeling a little disadvantaged, but it, I actually, I know I titled the show that, that the, the, something like the advantage of disadvantage, because he, he felt like it's kind of a good motivator, it makes him work harder, be more aware, not take it for granted. And we talked about the issue of the ego, but you started off there well, talking about people who they're not in the podium the first time they've been there in their mind. And that's what I was contemplating, thinking about Josh, thinking about myself is we go after that goal, but if we don't really dig into the why, we don't dig into the motive. So why did he want to lose weight? And it's kind of assumption, well, you know, if you do, it, it, it would help his acting career and, you know, it maybe it was uncomfortable physically and, and whatnot. But what was the real issue underneath that he was addressing and is that gonna lead? And I wonder if that's where we often miss it when we're looking for this goal, but why? What is the change? What's the real motive? Is it a fear? Is it a desire? And if we're more in tune with that, are we more able to shift that mental image and and join in with it? And yet I still wonder Tom if there's some aspects he 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 made Josh made the he did make the reference of that chapter of his life, of being poor, of being overweight. That chapter is never erased. It existed. He can't go back and say it didn't happen. So it did exist. So I think that's important. It's not that we erase it and that reality never existed. For those who have been you know, victimized and have a trauma, big trauma, you can't get rid of that. But then can you really see yourself different? Or maybe, maybe we're barking up the wrong tree of seeing ourselves different. Or did, do we see that we have just grown beyond that? Or we, we now obviously have faith that we can do more, be more, and that we're, we're parts of both people. Is that,
1: does that help us hold that a little better? Well, when you have an experience in life, uh, whether it's a traumatic experience or a fantastic experience. Yeah, a victorious experience, yeah. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. You've had that experience, and that starts to shape the story that you tell yourself. Yeah. And what's really interesting is that uh, whether it's uh, Dr. Carolyn Leaf or others who studied neuroscience and how your brain works is you can go back in. And when you relive the previous experience, good or bad, when you start going down those memories, the brain lights up just like it was happening, your brain doesn't really know the difference between this is happening to me now versus that happened to me when I was eight years old. Right. Right. And so if it's a negative traumatic experience, we have the ability to in the middle of those memories that pop up, ask ourselves insightful questions. What did I learn? was I responsible for this? Uh, because a lot of people in their, you know, they their parents get, you know, I'll just use a cliche when, you know, their parents get divorced when they're seven years old. And for some reason, they think they're part of the problem, like, like they caused it or they were responsible for that. And it takes a lot of work to go into there and say, wait a second, I wasn't responsible for that. Or somebody's abused and they think, well, I had a, a piece of that. Uh, responsible? no, you didn't. you, you were abused yeah. right? And, but, but it's it's hard work to go through uh, because it, it raises those feelings up. But then if you if you flip your view of it while you're in it and say, okay, uh, that wasn't my fault and I wasn't in a position to do anything. but how does how do, what did I learn? How can I use this to help me in the future? And you say, oh, I can I can be sympathetic to other people or empathetic to other people who are going through it. I'm more aware of situations. Right. I'm going to be able to in my own family, if I get on the right side of this, I'm going to be able to raise my kids in a way that it's going to make it less likely that they're in the same situation. Mm -hmm. Right. And so those are all things that we have agency and control over things that we that we can do. Um, I I thought, I I heard a statistic recently that, um, the number one predictor of weight gain over the next three or six months. Do you know what that is by the way? The number one predictor of weight gain. Yeah. Over the next three to six months. No. What? It's somebody starting a diet. (laughs) That's (laughs) a terrible statistic. <laughs> this is
0: the, welcome to the most depressing podcast an Apple podcast.
1: <laughs> wow okay That's- so why is that it, and then you look at the other side of the fact uh we just had our uh ziggler coach summit and uh ziggler legacy family reunion and we had a speaker there and he 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 was talking about belief Owen Fitzpatrick and he talked about uh, the placebo effect Mm -hmm. and they did a smoothie study and the smoothie study, what they did is they took the smoothie and they gave it to 50% of the group. And as they handed it to them, they said, wow, this is a, a very fat, rich, luxurious, indulgent smoothie And then the other 50%, they took the same smoothie and they said, wow, this is a lifestyle, very light, uh, you know, very health conscious smoothie. And then they drank it and then they measured a chemical in the brain or in the bloodstream that actually is a hormone, I believe that drives hunger. And the ones who were told it's a high fat, uh, you know, very rich, luxurious smoothie. That chemical was the hunger chemical was suppressed. And the other ones who were told that this is a lifestyle, you know, very fit uh, smoothie, in other words, <laughs> more on the diet, yeah, their chemical that activated hunger was elevated. And and these are physical reactions based on belief of what they've just put into their mind and has no connection with what's really in the smoothie. It was the same exact smoothie. Yeah. And that's a, that's a powerful connection of we might lose the weight, but we still think the way we thought. And Dr. Joyce brothers said that, it's impossible to consistently think in a way that's inconsistent with the way we see ourselves. Yeah, cognitive dissonance. Yeah, yeah, and and so that's why uh, we've got to the mind. We have to re, We have to re envision the way we see ourselves because there's a lot of people who are uh, in great physical condition. They look fit and trim, but when they see themselves in their dreams, they're heavy right? because they haven't changed that picture inside. Well, and so I'm
0: interested, Tom, and I, I literally didn't think about it much until, again, this show with Josh, because he also talked about initially loathing who he had been in the past. So he makes this big change. And especially as the the incredibly overweight kid, he was mad at that kid for a lot of years. Like, how could you do that? How could you, um, you know, how could you act that way? And how could you do that to yourself and and whatnot? And how he had to make friends with that kid. And to me, it kind of goes to what you're talking about of, Instead of thinking that we're going to eradicate that person and maybe helping us become the new person of acknowledging that past person. I was a person who was not financially literate. I was financially irresponsible and or, you know, or, or ignorant. Maybe I didn't know any better either way. But and so I did that. And that that is true. That person. I no longer do those things today. And I'm not that person. But I was. And to hold those, as opposed to loathing that person, trying to reject and deny that person, um, or just continually being haunted by that person. And I think not being aware because yeah, what you said about trauma, I I don't think it leaves us. It's interesting when you said that, that my first thought was, because in a lot of ways, I don't think I haven't led a, a, a hugely traumatic, uh, life, but there's a reason that I don't watch a lot of the cycling videos people send me. Oh, you know, they hear I was a pro cyclist and I get all these, they send me the videos and especially the ones that have wrecks in them or something like that. Yeah. Folks don't send those to me. I don't watch them or I'm upset if I accidentally do because I, I feel it, man. I feel the wreck and it's not like I had tons of wrecks, but the mean you know, high speed wrecks on the pavement, uh, are traumatic. And I can feel that if I see one, it's the same chemical reaction in my body as when it, as when it happened. And oh, I, I, I really don't like Uh, to see that. But it's just to me, an acute analogy of, yeah, we feel that trauma and probably always will. And so hopefully we're going to remove ourselves. So if you have trauma from, obviously from, from, you know, literal abuse, but let's say it's financial trauma, like Josh had of being poor and not knowing where the next apartment was going to be or how long they'd be there. And they'd have to move again. And that instability, a trauma is always there. Now, obviously after a decade or three decades of having means having abundance and not having that, he doesn't, he's not going to feel that, but he's probably always going to be able to tap into that because he was that person. And again, that acknowledgement, I think is interesting to me, Tom, because I just haven't thought about that with, it's, I, I, I'll admit that for my own part, and I'll ask you to share where you come from with that or what your perspective is. I generally, as far as the past, I just deny it or I just ignore it. I have historically, I just ignore it. I have no use for the past. This has been my perspective errantly. I have no use for the past. Obviously, there's good things about that, not to live in it and whatnot and let it just handicap you. But I haven't acknowledged it and have suffered from that as opposed to going back and having compassion for those mistakes, having compassion for that person that I used to be and to say, but then also say, but I'm not that person, Kevin, oh, take a deep breath and, and be okay. I'm not that I've had people say that to me in my life. I've had my wife say that when I talk about some things in the past, she's go, okay, it's okay. You're not that person. You don't do those things you did and let yourself be okay. But that person again, still exists. That trauma still exists and probably will never go away, which I guess, begs the, the, the idea of we need to be able to compassionately be aware of and accept who that person was. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone today. Shopify has fixed all that. use promo code Kevin, airdoctorpro.com, promo
1: code Kevin. Yeah. And that's, that's difficult. Um, you know, I use this, the example of, uh, in, in the book road trip that we did with a lot of our yeah. uh, coaches, I talk about in dad's early life as a speaker before anybody knew who he was. This is in the sixties. He was supposed to speak somewhere and he wanted to get there a few hours early. He lived two and a half hours away. So he heads out, he gets into the town. He asked for directions. He couldn't find it and they gave him the wrong directions. He followed it, you know, turn by turn and ended up 30 minutes, 30 miles further away. And so the question was, was it his fault he was given the wrong directions? Hmm. And it wasn't. He did what he was supposed to do. Right? He stopped and asked somebody local, hey, do you know where this place is? Oh, yeah, I know where it is. You go up here, you turn right, you go a few miles, you turn left, you go here, you do this. Well, he did all that, followed it perfectly. And he ends up 30 miles further away, 45 minutes later. Our life is the same way. We, we, we grow up, we get inputs from wherever they come. We don't get to pick our parents or those we live with uh, well-meaning people, maybe not well-meaning people do or say things to us for their own motives and their own reasons. Some of them intended to be good, right? Because that's how they were brought up, but they're not good. So you, you get the wrong directions. So now you're operating in life on the wrong directions. And because of that, you get the wrong results. <laughs> it's like, if you're told how to do it wrong and you keep doing it wrong and you're wondering why it never works, it's because you were told how to do it wrong. Yeah. And that's where I would say the vast majority of people are. And so you've literally got to sit down and go, hey, it wasn't my fault. And if it wasn't your fault, You know, it's like the person you care about the most, they mess up. But you're sitting there and going, well, that wasn't their fault. They were told this, but it's really that. Are you going to blame that person for that? No, No, you're not. Well, don't blame yourself. So you forgive yourself. Well, that's hard. Mm -hmm. Right. That's hard. But that's where you'll see people who have a pattern of success And stepping into a new life based on where they are right now is they have the ability to basically say, hey, I'm not that person anymore. I forgive myself. I had the wrong directions. I, I didn't mean for it to go that way. That's just the way I thought you were supposed to do it. And that is a game changer when you're able to do that because now you can step into the now, right? Because the only thing we have control over is right now. And that's where uh, but when people believe something, a contradiction to that belief is puts their identity at stake. Mm -hmm. You know, dad said many times in his recordings that in the first part of his life until PC Merrill really stepped into his life. And said, you know what, you're always going to struggle. You're always going to be a failure until you believe in yourself and go to work on a regular schedule. (laughs) And so up and up until that point, dad always looked at himself as a little guy from a little town with little dreams. I mean, his goal in life was to become a butcher, have his own butcher store and then buy a car from the rich man in town who every couple of years would trade in his car. He wanted to buy the guy's old car and then every year take a two-week vacation and drive anywhere the car would go. That was his dream. So he wanted to be the little, his dream was I'm gonna be the little guy in the little town who can go two weeks every year, anywhere I wanna go in the used car that I bought. And that's where he was. And then suddenly somebody said, wait a second, you know, you're always gonna struggle until the way you see yourself changes. Mm-hmm. And that was that was a door that had never been opened to him. And then he's like, Really? If I change the way I think, right? You could be a champion if you only believed in yourself. If that that's what I've got to do. And so he started studying it. He started studying it. And so this is where that desire comes in because desire is like that ingredient that says, I, I want to be different, right? I want that. I want to become that. I want to do that. That desire starts to build. And then when you have the, because it's a feeling, right? The feeling of who you are is that roadblock. You can, you can put all the evidence out there. I can say, Kevin, look at all your friends. They've all broke, broke through this. Well, that evidence is irrelevant to you until your feeling starts to change. Belief is a feeling. And so when your feeling starts to change, then that changes the way you see the evidence. Yeah. Right. And so we've got to, and, but we need evidence, we need knowledge, we need information, but that alone is not going to change a belief. Belief has to be also drawn in by uh, the feeling Right. The, the want, the desire, the, right. the way that is. So you put those two things together and that's why the journey is difficult, because we like to solve problems with our logic. But that's not what makes the decisions for us at the end of the day. <laughs> well, your statement, you, you said
0: evidence. And I want to I want to give that focus because we so often have true evidence of ourselves, of our of our negative Issues of our faults, failings, you know, whatnot. We have evidence, we have proof. And so to think of ourselves differently is so difficult, even if we then prove something wrong. So let's say that, you know, proof that we were making poor financial decisions or making poor, you know, dietary or relational or addictive things. And we have evidence of that, it exists. So one, as you said, forgiving ourselves is is huge for that. If whether it was our fault or not, um, forgiving ourselves. But then having faith that we are a different person now. You mentioned Owen Fitzpatrick talking about belief, and you know if I have evidence of my, especially if it's a, if it's a, a propensity. Tom, as you were talking about talking there, I tend towards. I mean, you know, self self help is a big topic here obviously. And I believe in that we've got to start by helping ourselves. And yet I also have to watch myself, Tom, on my propensity, my natural ingrained propensity to be self-sufficient, to go it alone, to isolate, to, to try to do everything myself. And that's a, that's a, that's where I go too far on the other side. That is who I naturally tend to be. However, in my own growth, maturity, maturity, Evolution, I know that that's not the best way to do it. I need to reach out. I need to call my brother Tom and seek counsel, seek support and encouragement, call my buddy Randy and Scott and all these people I have in my life. I need to reach out. So I do that now. So there's evidence. I know, or let me even go further. I know in and of myself, I have a, again, I'm going to say that an ingrained propensity to go it alone. And that serves me well. There's pros and cons of that. But on the con side, on the negative side, I have now learned and I do different things. I do reach out. I am self-aware and I do reach out at least more. I'm on the spectrum. You know, I'm not, I haven't fully arrived. Maybe I never will, but I do. So I have to look at that back to you saying evidence. There's evidence of who I, of my propensity. I know that, but now I have evidence, new evidence of, I also do different things. This goes back to habits and I walk these things out. I do different things. And so I have to have faith. I get to have faith that I am also continually becoming a different person. Even though there's evidence every day, I wake up with a self-sufficient mindset and maybe that always will be. Maybe I always will. Maybe that's it, Tom. Maybe I always will have that propensity. Probably will. It'll never go away. And in 40 years from now, I'm going to wake up and still have that. And yet I can have 40 years further of not living that way, of not succumbing to that. Kind of like maybe we're back to kind of the alcoholic type thing. You know, you're always an alcoholic is what you're supposed to say. Okay, maybe so. But for, hey, you know, for anybody who's not anymore, you know, for 20 years, they have not woken up in the morning and gone to the cabinet and gotten out a, a bottle of whatever or, or haven't done that at all during, that, during the day, during that time. They don't do that anymore. And so they have evidence and now faith of something different. Again, we're back to that, not denying the evidence of who we were. Because I think so many people struggle with that, Tom, grapple with. I have evidence of my fault or of the trauma or whatever. And I think I'm wanting to say, yes, you do. Yes, you do. That's not like Josh talked about. That chapter is not going away. Now we get to write new chapters on top of that. So that chapter existed, but it's, it's growing. You're growing away from that continually. Again,
1: that, that we're back to the holding both. Yeah. We're, we're on the journey. Yeah. We're always learning. Um, I think a lot of us go through that period where, and we just want to go it alone. We want to, we don't want to ask for help. You mean that's uh, not just me? <clears throat> awesome. Probably not. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> and I th- one of the things um, is we need to get out of ourselves a little bit and say, hey, what's the bigger why? What's the bigger purpose? Why, yeah. you know, why are we on this journey? Uh, of course, you can do it all on your own. But is that really the best way to do it? And so then we think, well, it'd be selfish to ask somebody else to, for, for help. Well, maybe by not asking, you know, we're denying somebody else part of what they were created to do, which is to help. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, there was a study about uh, if you move into a new neighborhood and you want to um, build friendships as fast as you can, a great way to do it is to go to a neighbor right after you move in, knock on their door and just say, hey, could I borrow some sugar some flour anything that's really inexpensive because people love to do favors they love to help right and it and it starts and you do it with something that starts to build that relationship of course you're going to pay them back right and it and what what's interesting is it makes it easier for them to ask you for help mm-hmm. well you know what in most cases I love it when people ask me for help mm-hmm. that validates me mm-hmm. Uh, One of our coaches, um, his name is John Cupido, and he was telling a story when he and he's uh, a senior and early in his career, uh, he was a bricklayer apprentice. So his boss picks him up and he gets in the truck and there's the boss's son, like five years old in the back of the truck. And they go to this job. And so the master bricklayer is laying the bricks and John's job is to feed him the bricks. And so he's bringing over, you know, a dozen bricks at a time in these little clamps and handing it to him. And he's building this wall. And after a few hours of that, he's the master bricklayer gets up and he goes into the truck and he gets his five-year-old son. He says, son, we need your help. I need you to bring me bricks. And so John's like, I'm giving him 12 or 15 bricks at a time, and the and the five-year-old is struggling to carry one brick over at a time. And he said, every time he handed his dad the brick, his dad looked at his son, thank you, that's good. And he said, Watch this. And he put a little chalk cross on the brick. And he put it, he put it into the wall and he mortared it in, but you could see the chalk cross. And so this went on for a couple of hours, you know, a brick. At a time from the son, while while John was bringing him all these bricks, and they get done, and he brings his son over and he says, "Son, look at that wall." And up on the walls, all these bricks, and and some of them had crosses on them. He said there wasn't a lot of crosses, but they were everywhere. And he tells his son, "Wow, look at the job you did. You know, we made a wall together. Because of this, we're going to make some nice money." And we're going to be able to buy your mom a dress, something she's been really looking for. I'm going to tell mom when we get home what a great job you did, and how because of your help we were able to get a dress and to pay for things. And I just, I just think how many times um, we go it alone or try to figure something out, and we're denying somebody else the the cross. The cross on the wall you know i mean the, the chalk cross that says hey i had a i had a part in that <laughs> yeah. and then the walls of life i mean if every person that you asked for help or helped if everybody got their own color uh cross chalk you know chalk uh colored chalk just think how cool the wall would look and that's really what it's supposed to be because really the walls are quite small and boring that are built alone
0: It's interesting you talk. It reminds me of the, of your dad's wall of all the people that he attributes himself to. I was thinking about that recently, Tom, with the book and the acknowledgements and totally overwhelmed. Acknowledgement. Who, who can I not acknowledge? <laughs> the, the, the list is, is ridiculous. I mean, what can I claim that is been solely, even if I seemingly did it myself, there was motive from somewhere else. There was knowledge from somewhere else. There was, uh, somebody's support somewhere else that enabled me to do that. Even privilege. You know, that's a, a term that I've been thinking about, uh, a lot. We're going to have a guy on the show soon talking about, talking about privilege. So man, that's, uh, that's great. It's incredible counsel for me. I do want to hit one more thing, Tom, that you talked about with placebo. I'm a huge fan of placebo. There's the, no side effects to placebo there's no side well, unless we think there might be there uh, yeah, <laughs> but I love that I mean coming from the health and wellness you know community to look at is that pill gonna help you or is the thought is you thinking it's gonna help you gonna help you? And so often we don't know and it doesn't matter. And so looking at that because back to evidence and us looking at the evidence and the proof that we believe about ourselves that exists in our in our lives that we actually Think of as fact, know of as fact, and maybe it is, but that is what we're talking about on the other side of changing the mental idea that we have of ourselves, of our circumstances is because it is, it's, it's, we're back to, you know, we're back to big Henry Ford, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And that's so pithy and yet so dramatically profound. And so how I think about myself, about my situation, it is a placebo. And even if X, Y, Z did happen, we know that we hear those stories every day where something changed dramatically in somebody's life and they now have this completely different paradigm and it brings it up. And I think it's both freeing, it's an opportunity, and yet it's also so overwhelming to our human psyche to realize that pretty much. Everything it is a mind game, I mean Randy and I end up talking about that a lot it is it is, and it sh- seems like it should be kind of freeing. hey it's a mind game, man, we can change, yeah, but that's overwhelming' it's, it's a lot life's a lot simpler if we just look at what is or what seems to be, and to say, "Oh, anything's possible is we don't really want to hear that it's not comforting um. To think of everything is a placebo to some degree. Yeah, obviously to a degree it's, it comes back again to your dad saying, you know, can you do anything with positive thinking? Can you do anything? No, but you can do everything better than negative thinking. We can't do anything or, or I've been, I found myself recently saying, okay, you can theoretically like for my kids, could you do anything? Sure. But you can't do it, You can't do anything. Well, not everything. Well, there's only a few things you're going to do well. Of course, we want to find that. You're free and capable to embark and try to engage with everything. But like your dad said, Shaquille O'Neal was never going to make a great jockey. It's physically impossible. Um, so, but, but again, back to this aspect of placebo, that knowing that our mindset is so fluid, is so malleable. When we talked, you mentioned Dr. Caroline Leaf, who we've had on the show and talking about neuroplasticity a term that i had not even heard of till a couple years ago probably now it's mainstream and every psychologist is talking about and beyond that we're working with this malleable brain this malleable mindset this malleable self-image this malleable idea of our reality and it is very much a placebo but you know again back to that it's not infinite i mean we do have realities in our lives uh But how we perceive them, the story, we're kind of to to that story again. the story that we choose to tell about what has happened and what is going to happen and who I am becoming. I I still find myself most enamored with that, even back to the self-taught cards. Which folks, we talk about those a lot. You can find them, ziggler.com slash self-talk. The self-talk, these affirmations of these things. And I like to look at it as self-fulfilling prophecies. These are the things I am becoming. To this point, I have not been a punctual person. Let's say it's one of the ones your dad uses. I have not been. I am becoming that. I'm using an alarm clock. I am, uh, I I have a different motive. I want to honor people better. And I am becoming a person who is, punctual. We can all do that. We can all, as Randy would talk, so Dr. Randy James said, we, we can, we're all, we can be becoming constantly. And so I am right. being, I am becoming this new person who is capable of this. I am no longer doing the things that that old person who I have forgiveness for and grace for used uh, that they used to do. And it, it brings up your quote, Tom, of That we were talking about just recently, I gotta give you credit on on one of the shows talking about you. I was with somebody else. Can't remember about your quote of highest standards and the deepest grace. I just, it may be the tattoo. My kids keep wanting me to get one. That may be the first one, Tom. I'll, I'll, I'll do a little TZ beside it, but literally reminding myself, no, I have the highest standards. That's what motivates me. But the deepest grace, that's what we, that's what we miss as we're striving to grow and change and better. But man, to your placebo and the belief and the faith we have about ourselves and who we're becoming, that that to me is where the
1: power is. Yeah. You know, two more takeaways from our conference. Uh, you know, Andy Andrews started talking about the concept of deeper, have deeper wisdom. And the idea is, is that the deep end
0: of the pool. I remember him. He kept referring to that the deep end of the pool. That's where we want deep waters. Yeah.
1: He just wrote that book and and he said, "You know, uh we all want wisdom, but when we really think about it, what we want is deeper wisdom, and there's always deeper right there's we can, we gain some wisdom, and that opens up new doors, and we can go deeper. We get some more, we can go deeper, right and so it's a never ending journey we're always growing, we're always." going to that next level and then and then owen he he said you know that that saying you can't teach an old dog new tricks he said that's a lie brain plasticity proves that that's a lie yeah the the only difference is is that we learn unconsciously our brain does until we're about 25 and then it becomes more conscious right we have to be intentional about what we want to learn but the fact that we our plasticity allows us to learn until the day we go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that term
0: because I think you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like they're too ingrained or they're not strong enough anymore. And I know we probably just have gotten too comfortable. Often it's a comfort level of uh kind of the the old term the you know the devil you know better than the devil you don't, and we get comfortable in there. But what?
1: Yep, it is that. It's that uh, we have a desire. We have a we have a we have a self-talk. We have a story we tell ourselves that says, "Hey, this is my identity. This is what we believe." And so, our brain constantly uh, selects validating information mm-hmm. that confirms our identity. Because to change our identity is a scary thing, right? To move away from something, and so. Mm-hmm for me in the in going deeper one of the deeper things is is that have an interesting discussion someone with someone not to win the argument but but to discover the truth and i think that was um, really interesting with einstein where he said his superpower was curiosity yeah he 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 never uh, was satisfied he, he never wanted to be satisfied with what he knew right and he knew a lot, a lot. And I remember, uh, Dr. Cooper, um, he came out as a big proponent of nutritional supplements. And I remember talking to him about it and he said, yeah, he had to change his belief because the medicine at the time was, ah, eh, that's not a big deal, right? That's not a, that's not a big deal. And he said, new research came out and I had to dig in and say, wait a second. No, I, what i And he was a revolutionary in in health, right? Because he's the one who said, yeah, after a heart attack, you need to start exercising as soon as possible. You know, whereas before they would, if you had a heart attack, they would give you six months of bed rest thinking, oh no, we can't stretch that muscle. And so what we, what we think, and it's, it's the primary message or one of the primary messages of my book, uh, 10 Leadership Virtues we dominate disruption by changing our mindset about disruption. The more change, the more disruption that happens, the more we love it, right? We're built for disruption. And when you have that mindset of bring it on, you know, I'm not necessarily happy that in my life is getting uprooted, but I thrive and get ahead whenever there's direct disruption. What does that do? It's, it's dad's quote, you know, like you just said earlier, a, negative added, a positive attitude won't let you do anything, but it'll let you do everything better than a negative. The more you love disruption, the better, you're, the better off you're going to be in disruption. It reminds me just of
0: expectations. Yeah, if I am going along, I, I had that analogy come up recently. Gosh, it might have even be something I wrote in the book. But if I gave you a, an all-expenses-paid trip, Tom, to one of your favorite places, Ireland, let's say for Tom Ziegler, but all expenses paid, man, it's going to be great. You're taken care of great hotel, great, everything. So when are you sending me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but on your way, you're going to have, uh, it's going to be a terrible delay, bunch of complexities. You may end up sleeping in the airport. It's going to be difficult. That's the high probability that's going to happen. You'd say, but great, fine. You know, not the expectations that you're totally fine with. And you would go along and you would just talk about the trip. You wouldn't even, it wouldn't be a blip because you were expecting it. And yet, what happens? Well, we don't expect that. We expect things to go along well and smoothly and effortlessly. And if that happens, if that happened, that trip happened, and yet, and then you had that delay and you had that terrible uh, overnight stay in the hotel or in the airport or whatnot the high propensity that that's what stands out that when you tell that story, when somebody says, Oh, Hey, how was the trip? Oh man. the trip was good, but I had this terrible layover, you know, blah, blah, blah. that stands out and back to expectations. So if we don't expect disruption uh, and it happens, it's tragic. If we expect it and expect to, to move with it, man, that, that right there has been so powerful. So again, you know, to the, you know, our mental self image that you talked about, as we're looking at the, the topic of this, you know, how can we change? That's a big part of it too, is changing our expectations. My expectations have changed. Grace on the person I used to be who had different expectations, different perspective. Now I have new expectations. I'm making new, taking new actions, new habits, and achieving different results and learning to have faith in, in that. It's a big, big topic here. It is, it is. Um, well, Hey, thanks. And thanks again to Josh Peck for helping bring this conversation up. And Tom, always
1: a gift to, uh, ponder these conversations that matter with you, brother. That sounds good to the, you're the greatest host in all the land. That's my expectation. I, and you exceed it every time. Thank you.
0: Thank you. <laughs> all, all based on the new expectation you've given me, brother. Okay, friends. Well, uh, shout out again to Josh Peck for being on the show. And if you didn't catch our original talk together, it was in episode 997. Uh, in his book, Happy People Are Annoying, it's just a, a great read and in-depth look at some of the issues that he has dealt with and overcome that we can benefit from from and thanks to tom Ziegler, as always my beloved co-host you can find him and everything that's going on with ziggler at ziggler.com hey thank you for choosing to tune in to the self helpful podcast if you got value subscribe and take something you learn and pass it on to somebody else i sincerely hope i've helped you help yourself